Our text of emphasis today is found in the book Acts of the Apostles, chapter 6 and verse 1. And it says this there. In those days when the number of the disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the 12 disciples gathered all the other followers together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven people from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and of wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and to the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, and also Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Perminius, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread, and the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. Opposition rose, however, for members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Cilicia and Asia, who began to argue with Stephen. But they could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. Then they secretly persuaded some men to say, we've heard Stephen speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law, and they seized Stephen and brought him in before the Sanhedrin. They produced false witnesses who testified, this fellow never stops speaking against the holy place and against the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us. All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen. They saw that his face was like the face of an angel. And Acts chapter 7 and verse 51 says that Stephen, after a sermon, finishes with these words. You stiff-necked people. Your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You're just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one, and now you have betrayed and murdered even him. You who have received the law that was given, but you haven't obeyed it. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And at this they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed him, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul, 
while they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my breath. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, don't hold this sin against them. And when he said this, he fell asleep. Let's pray. God, as we come together here now, we've sang together and we've prayed together. We pray for your insight and understanding as we've read together. We consider what your word is to us here today. In Jesus' name, amen. How's everyone doing? That music was ridiculous today. Is there any way that Mike and Aaron and Rodrigo could just play while we're talking here? Because I feel like they're going to make anything sound better. <laughs> Rodrigo, that was just, just funky. I mean, I'm not a musician, but I think that would qualify as funky. <laughs> I'm glad you're here. You know, I know for some of you, you've had a great week. Some of you, it's been a real a hard week, and that we think of you and the family and uh, the loss of Alex's dad. And just want to send your, our love to you, and, and uh, we hope that you'll communicate to Alex and, and Isis and the family there. So we come, some of us, with uh, joy in our hearts and some with pain and heart, heartbreak, but we're here today uh, because uh, God is good. Well, for those of you who've been here the last couple of weeks, you know that we have been uh, looking, as we start this new year, at the newborn church, the church in Abeda. The church is described in the book of Acts as they were just getting started and trying to figure out how to operate together as a community of, of faith. And so today we look at one of the stories in this narrative of this newborn church, of this uh, beta church, and we see that there was some tension between uh, two groups in the church. Now at this time, the, the community of faith was made up largely of people who came from the Jewish background. Their, their cultural heritage was Jewish. And so even though they had embraced Jesus, they also considered themselves a Jewish. And there were two prominent groups, groups of, of Jewish people. There, there were many, but two that were a part of the church. And they, they came into some conflict with each other. The Hellenistic Jews, these are the, 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 the Jews who had be adopted the culture, or the Greek culture, uh, the Roman culture of the day. They spoke Greek. They were very familiar with the Greek world and the holidays, and so they, they, they were enculturated in, in Greek culture. And then there were the Hebraic Jews. These were the Jews who kind of remained uh, uh, aligned with their Hebrew heritage. And so they come in conflict with each other over this issue of whether the widows in the community were being taken care of uh, properly. And so the, the, the 12 disciples said, look, we have a very specific role. There's only 12 of us. We walked and talked with Jesus, and our role is to, 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 to teach and to preach. And so we need some other people to help us out here. So they went to the community of faith, and they said, listen, you need to choose people who are going to be able to, to take care of some of these practical things, who are going to be a servants, who are going to be deacons. We still have deacons in the community of faith today. The idea behind the deacon is that they're a servant, to serve in whatever way is necessary, oftentimes in just taking care of the practical needs of the community. And so uh, they identify seven uh, people, but one of these individuals stands out. 
this guy named uh, Stephen. And so they, they set up this team of deacons, and Stephen is, is among them, and he is very successful in his work. And not only is he involved in doing the practical needs of taking care of the widows and making sure the other needs are taken uh, care of in the community of faith, apparently he also becomes a, a teacher because we read that many wonders and miraculous signs were done and performed uh, by him. And he was a, a communicator of the good news. In fact, his, his teaching enraged, it says, the religious leaders of the day, the Jewish religious leaders of the day. And so they take him into the Sanhedrin, that, that, that ruling court of the religious body. And he then is, is uh, tested there. And we didn't read it because you can read it at home on your own, but from Acts chapter 7, verse 2 to 50, we have basically his sermon to the uh, religious leaders of the day, of why he believes what he, he believes. And so Stephen is there, but his, his sermon incites rage because he keeps referring to this Jesus as, as the son of God. And so in, in his uh, a closing, which every preacher hopes never happens, the congregation is so enraged that they rush up onto the stage and drag him out, throw him off a cliff, and throw rocks at him. I'm hoping things go better today. Uh, Stephen was uh, chosen from among his uh, peers for being someone that could be trusted, apparently. Someone who had integrity. In many ways, Stephen is a model for what it means to be a follower of Jesus in the uh, community of faith. A servant who is willing to help the community in important, practical ways. Sometimes working behind the scenes, doing some of the less glamorous things that just help the community to survive and thrive together. Yet when called to, he's also willing to speak boldly on behalf of what he believes in. So we see uh, Stephen as, again, a model for what it means to be a, a Christian. Integrity. You know, integrity is that idea that you live your whole life consistently. In fact, the word integrity comes from the Latin concept of integer, meaning whole or complete. A person's life across the boards is, is transparent. And they're honest in everything. Last week we talked about uh, dishonesty and how that wrecks relationships. This week talking about integrity. Integrity is the comprehensive uh, life that's consistent across the boards of, of, of being upstanding. So that leads us to the question for today. How does a person live like Stephen with integrity, especially in the world and context that we live today, full of faith, full of God's grace and powers, the, the record describes Stephen. How do you live that way, and why is it so difficult to live with integrity in the world in which we live today? That's our question. Now, there are probably many reasons that you could... Uh, bring to mind to explain what the issue is with integrity, why it's difficult to live with integrity. I have 
as often is the case three for you today, three reasons why it's difficult to live with integrity. First of all, if you haven't thought through what you really value, what you really care about, what you really believe in, you're going to have a hard time having integrity. If you don't know what you really stand for, what you really care about, what you really value, it's going to be hard to have integrity. It's going to be hard to be, be consistent when you don't even know what you're supposed to be consistent for. Stephen knew what he believed. I mean, you say what you will about the man. He knew what he believed. He spent 49 verses of Acts chapter 7 articulating to this hostile crowd what he believed in, what his values were. When was the last time you really thought about what you really, really value? What you really believe in? What's most important in your life? You know, again, it's so easy to get caught up in life and not really be thoughtful about what you're doing. You got to work. So you spend 50, 60, 70 hours at work and you're just doing because you're supposed to be doing because you needed to pay your rent and you got to put food on the, the table, but where are your values? You don't even have time to think about our, our values and what we really care about and what we uh, stand for. Self-reflection is an essential thing to living a life of integrity, and yet many of us just don't have time to be self-reflective. Sometimes living with integrity is as simple as being intentional about focusing on what is important for you. What do you really care about? What do you believe in? What do you value? So we have a difficult time with integrity because we haven't thought about what we really care about, what we really value. Secondly, we have a difficult time with integrity because we're tired. Anybody else tired? We have a sofa back here. I may just slip back there. And sometime, Kyle, Kyle yesterday, this is a true story. I came in with the boys that was taking him out for the walk, and Kyle was sleeping on the sofa right back there. He's tired. Poor guy, working him so hard here at Advent Hope. Had to take a nap. Some of us are just tired, whether, whether, whether physically tired or emotionally tired. We're, we're working hard. We've got a full life. We live in a, a, a vibrant and, and active uh, a city. Stress. Got family situations. You've got a heartache. You've got relationships. It's, it's tiring. Anybody tired here today? If not, by the end of this sermon, you'll be tired. I agree. <laughs> We're tired. And when you're, when you're, when you're tired... It's hard to live with integrity. Again, whether it's physically tired or emotionally tired, one of my favorite books of all time, and I'm going to apologize because I've probably referenced this book like a thousand times, but it's, it's based on the research of Roy Baumeister, and the book is called Willpower. It's a fantastic book. One illustration, this issue of the effect of of tiredness, you know, be, be, before Baumeister's research, there was some real question whether willpower actually was a thing or, or not. And so uh, his his research kind of solidified the reality that there that willpower is indeed something that exists in, in humanity, and it's also re related to our physiology. 
there are things just about our, 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 our body that are affect our ability to have strong or weak willpower. And so he gives one illustration of a parole board. And, uh, you know, a parole board, they hear the cases of, of prisoners to determine and decide whether or not the prisoner is worthy of being let out of jail or prison early. And so in his research, he found that uh, when the parole board met first thing in the morning, they had their breakfast, they had had their night of sleep, and they were ready to hear the arguments brought before them, the reasons why uh, a person should be let out of prison or jail, that they were much more likely early in the morning to be engaged with the prisoner, to listen to the arguments, to hear, to question with each other, to talk, and to let people off. As the, the day went on and they got a little bit more tired, 10, 11, haven't eaten in a while, prisoners come in, the interviews are shorter, well, it's probably just safer to, to, to keep them in jail. <laughs> I, I can't even think right now. My, my meal is worn off. Let's keep them in the jail. And so as the day would go on, fewer prisoners would be let out on parole. Then they would go and have lunch. This is disturbing, by the way. Then they would go, to ha go and have lunch, and they would come back, and after lunch, you know what happened. After lunch, they had, their blood sugar was up, and they were rested, and they were more apt to, to listen to the arguments and let people off. But as the day went on, back in jail. Moral of the story is if you're ever in jail and you're called behind the parole board, you better pray that's early, man. <laughs> right after breakfast, right after lunch, and if not, bring your bananas. Hand them out. Just everybody just eat that thing, and then I'll explain my situation to you. When we're, when, we're, when, we're, when we're tired, whether it's emotionally or, or physically, we don't make good decisions. And when you don't make good de decisions, that has an impact on your ability to live a holistic life of integrity. And some of us are really tired. Some of you are physically tired. Some of you are emotionally tired. You've been, you've been, you've been battered and beaten. You've been making hard decisions for a long time. You're, you're heartbroken over circumstances and situations and it's hard to live with integrity when you're tired and you're broken. Why is it so difficult to live with integrity? Finally, it's difficult to live with integrity when we've developed the habit of rationalizing bad behavior. You know, lacking integrity uh, rarely starts with some giant crime. Oh, I killed somebody. Oh, I was such a great guy. I mean, it, it happens. I mean, Derek could explain all kinds of situations where craziness happens, but rarely does a just incredible break of integrity start with something giant. It usually starts in the small things, right? At work, among friends, among colleagues, you cut corners. You aren't honest with yourself or with others. And these, these little things chip away. And once you create a habit of not really acting with integrity, when situations get difficult, when they get challenging, you go back to the habit, and the habit is not being completely truthful, cutting corners, 
doing just what it takes to get by. It's difficult to live with integrity when we rationalize our bad behavior, thinking, oh, you know, this is, this is getting me somewhere. The, 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 the end is what matter, matters, not the, the means to get to the end. When we justify our bad behavior, it leads to a break in our ability to have integrity. So how do we overcome these threats to our integrity? How do we live as people who have integrity in a, in, in a world that is needing people of integrity? How do we become people who have integrity? And we think back to the, the story of, of Stephen. You know, before uh, Stephen went before the Sanhedrin, we read that Jesus also appeared before the Sanhedrin. And he also faced false witnesses who accused him of announcing the destruction of the temple. Before Stephen said that he saw the Son of Man, Jesus himself has said, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power. Before uh, Stephen was stoned and, and, and went to sleep, uh, Jesus also died. But in his dying breath, he also asked for forgiveness for those who were acting against him. Stephen's integrity didn't come because he was some great guy. Stephen was connected with something, with someone larger than himself, a God of integrity. A God who'd already been there and already done that and had acted with integrity throughout his entire life. And so Stephen is able to reference back to this God. It's interesting how the narrative in Acts describes Stephen. Acts 6, verse 8. Now Stephen a man full of God's grace and power. It doesn't say, you know, Stephen, who's just an incredible guy and had an incredible natural willpower and had, you know, figured out how to, how to, how to live with grace and power on his own. The, the narrative of Acts is very clear where his power came from. He's a man full of God's power and God's grace. In verse 55 of chapter 7, where Stephen is, is described <laughs> preparing for his death, it says that we, he was full of the Holy Spirit when he looked up and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. See, Stephen had a connection with a God of integrity. How do we have integrity? How do we live like a, 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 like a man like uh, uh, Stephen? Well, S Stephen wasn't innately a guy of integrity. This is something that came from, from someone else, from the God of integrity. We said that it's difficult to live with integrity because we haven't thought through our values and what we believe and what we really care about. In John chapter 14 and verse 26, Jesus says, But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, 
will teach you all things. It will remind you everything I have said. If, if you're not sure what you should believe in and where your values should be, the promise of Jesus is, hey, God can teach that. God can teach what values are important and what to root your life in and what kind of person to be. In Luke chapter 12, we read Jesus again saying, when you, talking to the newborn church, to the beta church, when you are brought before synagogues, rulers, and authorities, don't worry how you'll defend yourself. When you're, when you're put in a situation where you're going to have to state what you believe and your values and what you care about and what's important to you, don't worry if you're connected to the God of integrity. For the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what to say. If you're connected to the God of integrity, God can teach you what values are going to be most beneficial to you. And you'll be able to share those in times of anxiety. We said that it's difficult to live with integrity because too many of us are just worn out and we're tired emotionally or physically. And we read in Matthew chapter 11, Jesus again, come to me all you who are weary and burdened and broken and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest in your soul. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We said that it's difficult to live with integrity because we too often rationalize our own bad behavior. Yet we read benediction in Jude chapter 24 that says to him who is able to the God who is able the God of integrity he can keep you from stumbling he can keep you from falling back on that habit of of, of relying on just getting by and not acting with integrity and and rationalizing our little things that are seemingly small at the time he's able to keep you from stumbling in Jesus, you can live a life of integrity. This is the hope. This is the, the promise. You're not going to do it on your own. You have to be connected with the God of integrity to live a holistic, whole life of integrity. And so the invitation for us as a community of faith, everyone here, whether you're for the first time or you've been here a hundred times before, the invitation for anyone who's listening is that you can live a life of integrity by being connected to the God of integrity, the God who didn't back down when he was faced with turmoil, when he was faced with a fearful situation, when he was even faced with death. The God of integrity can help us to live with integrity. Why? Because he loves you. God loves you. He can help you to live a life you won't live on your own. So our prayer today is that the spirit will work in this community of faith. And help each of us to live with the integrity that 
God has promised to give us in him. Let's pray. Oh God, you know our hearts here today. You know the brokenness. You know the, the hurting. You know the pain. You know the tiredness. You know the fear. You know everything that each of us is dealing with. And yet most of us here want to live lives of integrity. And so I pray that you'll do what only you can do in our experience, both as individuals and as in a community. Help us to be a community of integrity, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.